This morning, we continue our sermon series, Sacred Ordinary Life, reminding ourselves and reclaiming those parts of our daily lives that can seem overwhelmingly ordinary, but are actually infused with the holiness of God's presence. Today, we are going to explore a brief passage from Paul's letter to the Romans and a passage from the beginning of Gospel of John. And how those two passages might say something to us this morning about how our bodies connect to a life of faith. And so I invite you now to listen for a word from the Lord from Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And from the first chapter of the Gospel of John, And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory is of the Father's only Son, full of grace. And truth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day, for the blessings that it has already brought us and the ones that await us. In the moments ahead, we ask that you would silence any voice within us but your own. Speak to us and allow us to hear. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. The night before the NCAA cross-country championships, my college teammates and I would crowd together in someone's questionably clean off-campus apartment to eat spaghetti and watch the iconic film, Chariots of Fire. The film's protagonist, Eric Liddell, is a Scotsman. He is the son of a Presbyterian missionary, And as you likely know, he is an astoundingly gifted runner. His dream is to compete for his country in the 1924 Paris Olympic Games. The trouble is, is that Liddell also feels a call to follow his father in service as a Christian missionary. So he's torn between his head and his heart. And his decision comes to a breaking point in an argument that he has with his sister Jenny. Jenny has been growing weary of Eric's constant athletic training, which is taking him away from his studies. She is adamant that his running is a distraction from his true responsibility and call to the missionary field. She tells him that his head is so full of running that there is no room for standing still. In the midst of this heated discussion between brother and sister, Liddell looks at his sister and he says with great passion, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, for the mission field. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. To win is to honor him. Liddell would, in fact, go on to win Olympic gold for Scotland. And he remains 
one of the country's most celebrated athletes. But I think perhaps Eric Liddell's most impressive achievement has nothing to do with athletics. I think Eric Liddell's most impressive achievement is that he saw his whole life as an offering to God. What is true for Eric Liddell is also true for us. Our life of faith is not about leaving our bodies behind for higher spiritual matters, but about presenting our whole selves, spirit, mind, and body, in worship and service to God. It's what Paul wants to tell the church in Rome. He spent the previous chapter from the one we read this morning reminding the congregation of God's extravagant mercies, that God has given us freedom from sin and death. God has given us the gift of the Spirit to encourage and challenge and guide, that God is with us always in faithfulness. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, the chapter we read this morning, he writes, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If you were paying attention during the reading, you recognize that he started the paragraph with the word, therefore. Therefore, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Those of you who are Bible readers, it is worth noting that anytime you come across the word therefore in scripture, it functions like a yellow light saying, whoa, slow down. I'm about to tell you what the point is. Paul has been telling us about God's mercies. He's made a theological point. And now he's going to make a practical one. I think it's also worth saying that good theology always does this. It always moves from the theological to the practical. From what we trust about who God is to what difference that makes for how we live with one another. Which also means that it's worth questioning any theology that believes something about God without any ethical demands for how we live with other people. A similar or different way of saying that is, we should never be more loyal to an idea or a doctrine or a biblical interpretation than we are to people. If teachings of the church are harming bodies or spirits, we should rethink those teachings. And so this is what Paul is doing. He's connecting the theological with the practical. What we say about who God is, that God is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, with the practical about how we live our lives in the world. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Now, you might have noticed something else about the passage. A living sacrifice? Seems like a mistake, right? How could something be living and a sacrifice? Certainly in the ancient world of Paul's day, it would have been common to give an offering through the sacrifice of an animal, through death. But Paul speaks of an offering that's not made through death, but through life, through the ways that our lives are lived. So Paul is saying to you and to me, in response to God's grace, offer your whole living, breathing body as an act of worship. 
Take all the tasks that you do each and every day, your sleeping, your eating, your teeth brushing, your showering, your working, your parenting, and present all of it as an act of worship. Our lives of faith are not something that are simply carried out one day a week here in the sanctuary. The bodies that we use to kneel and to pray and to lift our hands are the same bodies that we take out into the world, to the kitchen table, to the bathtub, and under the covers at night. The Christian faith is never something that is lived one day a week in church, but instead sees the whole world as a temple to the living God. I love theologian Barbara Brown Taylor. She talks about our bodies in the world in service to God this way. She says sometimes when people ask her about her prayer life, she talks about hanging laundry on the line. She says after a day of too much information about just about everything, there is blessed relief in the weight of clothes the creak of the wicker basket as I carry it to the clothesline. And every time I bend down to receive a piece of laundry, I inhale the smell of the grass and feel the warmth of the sun. She admits most of the laundry in their house belongs to her husband, who can go through enough clothes to mimic a toddler in a week, But she says, hanging his laundry on the line becomes a labor of love. I often think of my grandmother in this respect. So much of her work was in the home. But she somehow managed to cut flowers and cook pancakes and roll out pie dough with grace and gratitude and thanksgiving. We worship God here. But we also worship God in the office, the hospital, the laundry room, the dinner table, the garden, presenting our bodies as living, breathing tools for building up the world that God so loves. Now, I know you all, and I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, the preacher told us today We no longer have to go to church. In fact, some of you are thinking, I can find church on the golf course every single Sunday from now on. I did once see a church sign that said, may your golf ball lie in green pastures and not still waters. But (laughs) besides that, it's not the point. It is true that church happens in the messiness of what we do together. Because we belong to God and we belong to one another. But what I am telling you is that there is no divide between the sacred and the secular. The whole world is infused with God's presence. Yes, even the golf course. And the ways that we use our bodies out in the world is an extension of our worship and our practice. Barbara Brown Taylor will go on to call it the practice of wearing skin by which she means the practice of learning to offer our bodies to be useful in the world with gratitude and delight, rather than maintenance and self-loathing. I think that practice of wearing skin 
can be hard to do. If we think about it, there's a lot of misguided thought about bodies. The church is certainly complicit in this. The church has a history of either ignoring bodies altogether in favor of the spirit, or becoming obsessed with bodies, focusing all our attention on policing sexual conduct and denigrating the body as evil. Whether it's church or culture, we carry so much shame lodged in our bodies. If you are like me, I imagine that you can stand in front of the mirror on any given day and see all sorts of problems. Arms that are too thick, legs that don't quite measure up, teeth that could be whiter or straighter, more well-brushed, skin that could be firmer or clearer. It's easy to find flaws with our physical selves. I always remember a few years ago, one of my dear friends, Carmen, gave birth, and her new daughter, Clarilyn, was sitting in her lap. Her sweet little girl leaned closer in, and she said, Mommy, I love your tummy. It is so soft and squishy for cuddling. Now, Carmen admitted that she looked down at this beautiful, snuggling child and at the same time, feelings of deep shame washed over her. She said, it took all of my spiritual strength to remind my higher self that bodies are beautiful, all of them, because they are gifts of the Creator. And that God had performed a miracle in my body by giving life. And that my body, cuddly and lumpy, was a gracious, lovely miracle that continued to provide for my daughter. Present your bodies to God. There is no more characteristically Christian demand. It is possible to see the body as something that should be despised or we should be ashamed of. But as Christians, we believe our bodies just as much as our souls belong to God. That we can follow God with our bodies as much as we can with our hearts and our minds. It's a way of saying that Christianity is an embodied faith. And the fullest way that we know that that is true is that we believe in the Incarnation. That Jesus Christ took on human flesh. God the Son had a body. He ate. He slept. God forbid, he went to the bathroom. The Gospel of John writes about it this way. The Word became flesh and lived among us. I like the way that the Message Bible translation says it. The word of God became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Because Christ had a body, the way that we use our bodies is not meaningless. Leaving the real work of faith and discipleship, of following Christ to our minds and to our spirits, Instead, we are called to delight in our bodies, to use our bodies to build others up, 
so that our bodies might be an embodied confession to the God who literally took on flesh. I think there's another word that's important to be spoken when we talk about bodies. What about when bodies fail us? If our bodies are meant to be delighted in and used for God's purposes, what does it mean when our bodies don't work as they should? I'm convinced that none of us gets through our adult lives without experiencing something that shakes us to our core. Deep suffering will make theologians of all of us. And sometimes the questions that we ask in church or from the pulpit or from Sunday school are rarely the questions that we ask when we or a loved one are in a hospital bed in real physical or emotional pain. In these moments, it is to discover the depth of a reality that is roped off when everything is going fine. In those moments, the questions that always bubble to the surface, why me, why now, why this? The truth of life is that sometimes bodies fail us. Cells multiply, bones break, miscarriages happen, eyes don't work, brains over or under function. So what do we say in that moment about the sacredness of a body? Because God had a body, God entered not just into the beauty and wonder of our physical selves, but also the vulnerability of a body that does embarrassing things that sometimes doesn't work the way it should. God didn't come as an invulnerable human being, striding through life from one victory to the next. Instead, for Jesus to be fully God and fully human means he was one of us, exactly as one of us, not some kind of super being that never knew pain or dysfunction. God the Son became flesh and experienced all of human life including loss and sickness and vulnerability and death. Therefore, to be in relationship with God who identifies with our bodies and our frailties means that God is never ashamed of vulnerable and hurting bodies. God does not shun vulnerability or sickness or death. Instead, God identifies with us, is present with us. God loves flesh and blood no matter what kind of shape it in. So whether you are well or sick or lovely or irregular, you are a body that God deeply loves and is profoundly present with. When I think about bodies that don't often work as they should, I think about my aunt. Her body didn't get enough oxygen when she was born. And as a result, she is severely physically and mentally handicapped. She can't talk or feed or bathe herself or walk on her own. And yet I believe that when God looks at her, God sees a body not that is broken, but that is beloved. And I also believe that God delights in the extra bodies that help to care for her. 
the hands that bathe her, that hold a spoon while she eats, that carefully dress her each day and steady her when she walks. And I also believe that one day her resurrected body will be transformed without limitation to fullness of life, that she will talk and laugh and run in the ongoing presence of her Creator. God had a body. Christ took on human flesh, redeeming and honoring our physical selves, fully experiencing us in our frailty and our vulnerability, which ultimately means that God's glory is found in weakness. John said, God the Son moved into the neighborhood, and we have seen his glory. God gave up the privilege of divinity for the pleasure of humanity, which means God's greatest source of power is found in the people and places where bodies are most vulnerable and hurting. I'm not clearly a Catholic, and yet, I have significant admiration and respect for Pope Francis. I'll never forget the first trip he took outside of Rome after being ordained as Pope. He chose not a cathedral or an enormous basilica, but a tiny Sicilian island where thousands of migrant bodies often washed ashore having taken boats crossing the sea from North Africa. So here the Pope stands, on the beach in front of a table in which bodies have washed ashore, and he speaks the words that our Lord spoke before he died. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The Pope reminded the world that the Church is the body of Christ and stands in those places where bodies are vulnerable and hurting. Perhaps some of you have seen the new Gillette Razor commercials. They recently ran a commercial for a new assisted shaving razor. It's the first kind of razor that is intended for the purposes of shaving someone else. And the ad features an adult son who is caring full-time for his elderly father who's had a stroke. Father cannot walk or take care of himself, and so throughout the course of the commercial, the son wakes up every morning and showers his father and washes his hair, grooms and shaves him. It's this beautiful, messy, holy rhythm that happens every day. And at one point in the commercial, the son looks at the camera and he says, When I was growing up, my dad was the strongest person I knew. And right now there's something of a role reversal happening. But actually, it's an honor to do it for my father. Because he did it for me. And then the son pauses and he says, I pour love on my father every day, dressing and bathing and shaving his body. And at the end of the day, he looks at me and he says, I I don't know what I did to deserve this. 
And the son says, don't worry. I've got you, Dad. A life of faith is never about leaving our bodies behind, but out presenting our whole selves, body, mind, and spirit, in service to God. So the question is, so what? So what? So do this. Delight in the body that God has given you. Delight in the body that God has given you in your worship, in your kneeling, in your bowing, in your singing, in your praying. And delight in the body that God has given you on your average day, sleeping or savoring a meal, jumping or hiking or running, or having sex with your spouse, holding the hand of the one you love, caring for the body of another, nursing a baby, and digging a garden. And as you delight in that body, present it as a living, breathing offering to God's service, and not a perfect body, but a body that knows vulnerability as Christ did, and who therefore beckons us to find him in the very places where weakness and infirmity of human flesh dwell. The incarnation isn't something that happened once in Christ. The incarnation is an ongoing call to the church, the literal body of Christ, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, to be that in the world. So look around. Where are the places where you might best behold God's flesh? Where are the places in our community and beyond the walls of this church where human frailty is on full display? where there are bodies that are hurting or hungry or grieving or weary. And stand there. May we join Christ in the mission of becoming, where bodies are celebrated, lives are redeemed, and all are resurrected to new life. All thanks be to God. Amen.